Welcome to the Vitality Health Show, where we inform you about the latest advancements in alternative health care and the best health and wellness solutions to benefit your body, mind, and spirit. Now, here's your host, Stephanie Parrish. Good morning, friends, and welcome to the Vitality Health Show. I am your host, Stephanie Parrish, along with my co-host, Doug Crockett, and we are the voice of hope, healing, and miracles. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Stephanie. It's a beautiful, warm summer morning. Oh, we're so blessed, aren't we? I yes, love it. Yes. First of all, we want to thank our sponsors, The Mindful Lab with Christine Erickson, where you can find clarity, connection, and peace. She is incredible working with youth, especially the girls, teaching them mindfulness and how to navigate through all this crazy stuff that's going on right now. You can find her at mindfullab.net. Also, Sunshine Family Hemp, nature's side of health. You can find them at sunshinefamilyhemp.com. We love their products. We use them all the time. Also, Abundance by Ellie, featuring Young Living Oils. There is an oil for that. You can find her at AbundanceWithEllie at gmail.com. We go through oils like crazy here. We love them. We use them all the time. So get hold of Ellie at AbundanceWithEllie at gmail.com. And with that being said, we're going to get right on to our show because we have got an amazing special Uh, guest with us today. We've been very anxious for this show. Yes, yes. The amazing Tori Swan. We do not have her dog with us, but we do have Tori Swan with us. And she is going to be talking a little bit about search and rescue, search and recovery. She's been doing this for over 19 years. She has been, I'm going to get emotional right now because she was, she, uh, as long as you, a lot of you guys have listened to my story and my husband, John's story and his wife disappeared last January and was missing for about three months. And they couldn't find her. She had gotten lost in a snowstorm and they couldn't find, they didn't know where she was. And for months, they didn't know where she was. And it was Tori's persistence and consistence. John said she called, she texted, she contacted him all the time, asking questions, giving updates, just keeping him in the loop and finding out more and more information all the time so that they could find John's wife and Three months later, they were able to find her. And it was Tori and her team that were able to find her body. And John said it was like, and he was told by either Tori or one of her her team that it would be like losing her all over again. And it really was. It was the reality of that step had to set in. But I have told him many times, I can't even imagine what that feeling would be like not knowing where your loved one is. And that just, just not knowing that. And he said that he didn't know, he didn't know if she was going to walk in the door, get a phone call or, or what, or if she was gone. And he did have a feeling that she was gone, just didn't know where she was. And that was a really terrifying thing. And Tori made that easier for him to deal with, just keeping him in the loop, keeping him busy, keeping him engaged and involved in this until they were actually able to find her and be able to put her to rest. And so Tori, my heart goes out to you. Beautiful. Because you really helped John. Absolutely. Really, really difficult times. And not only John, but many, 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 you've done this for a lot of years and all over. And the thing I want our listeners to to hear is this is volunteer. They do this voluntarily. 
and wow. their own pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so we will give you an email here in just a little bit. Sorry, I got to get rid of the <laughs> So these people are the best of the best out of their own dime and their own heart. They go out and search. That's, that's incredible. And there was a lot. We'll talk to her about how many there were because there was a lot of people involved in this that that John was just so amazed at how many people were willing to take their own time, their own expenses to be able to go all over the all over the place to find somebody's loved one. And so this is a little bit tender for me because it's it's so close to home because I lost my husband last year too, but I was with him when he passed away. And I just can't even imagine what it would be like not knowing, the not knowing. And wonderful people like you come in with, with on, like I said, on a volunteer basis and help put closure for people on these crazy, crazy yeah. situations. So I'm going to take a big breath and I'm going to turn it over to you, Tori. And I'd love, I'd love your story of how you even got started doing this because what an amazing sure. experience as a child, mm. <laughs> you got started doing this. So I'm going to just turn it over to you while I get myself composed <laughs> and sure. um, tell us your story. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Stephanie. And thanks, Doug. I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah. So I, I had a pretty fortunate childhood. I was born and raised in rural Montana. Um, my parents owned their own business. Um, we lived out in the country and my, my dad, um, is a pilot and, um, had his own airplanes. And so he volunteered to do aerial search and rescue for the local, for the local and surrounding counties. And of course, both aviation and search and rescue was something I was interested in. And not to mention I was a daddy's girl. So <laughs> I was really excited to get to go help with these missions. Sure. Um, and, you know, that just transpired into, of course, you know, two different directions. I went the aviation route, but also into search and rescue um, and also dogs. So the, the combination of the three really all, kind of combined together to bring me to where I'm at right now. And, you know, um, as a, as a toddler, I was up in the airplane, you know, helping scout for search and rescue missions. Um, and then also we had a lot of hunting dogs. And so starting as also, you know, young toddler, I always had a, a leash and a dog in my hand and and thinking I was a, a dog trainer. And of course they were <laughs> three times bigger than I was. Right. So yeah, that's, that's been the case ever since I've never not had dogs. And so combining the, the passions was incredible. It, just, it made sense for me. I like that. And, and like you're saying, you kind of follow in father's footsteps kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's pretty good. Yep. And then my brother became a pilot as well and a commercial pilot. Um, and then of course I became a commercial pilot. And so we, we both really, um, followed kind of those same footsteps from when we were really young. Beautiful. So you drive, Beautiful. you, you were a pilot on helicopters. Is that right? You were yes, a helicopter yeah. pilot? Yep. Both. I, um, have my airplane and helicopter ratings. Um, really? but I, yes, but I did okay. commercial helicopter. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny because I used to, I used to date a guy that 
had a plane and that's what they did too. And I remember a couple times he's like, come up with us. We're looking for bodies floating in the river because they can't find them. We're in the lake. And, you know, as 16, 17 year old, it's like, I don't want to be the one to find them. I mean, (laughs) on the other side, it's like, I want to be the one to spot them. But yet I was terrified to be the one to spot them. So I guess growing up with that, it was, it was, tell us about that because it's, it had to have been, yeah, getting past the trauma say, you know, of seeing it. it was yeah. Like, yeah, getting past the trauma of going to see this. Sure. Yeah, I think that I've always handled that a little bit differently. To me, the the need and desire to help overcame, you know, the the emotional trauma or fear of death per se. Um, and you know, it, it I think maybe from my parents being into um, outfitting and and hunting and me, you know, going along on hunting with my with my parents, I think that I was able to handle or separate the difference between, you know, death and and the emotional trauma. So um, I don't feel like I really had, you know, too much of a trouble handling that part of it. Um, Although there's there's every single case gets to me in its own way, you know, that I, it's it definitely, there's, it leaves a, a footprint in my heart. Every single case that I work on is, is traumatic. But again, I think the need to help is so much more rewarding than, than the effect of the trauma. That, that helps that. me more engaged when you, when you can feel it, understand it, that helps I think the passion of what you're doing, what you're trying to mm-hmm. find, what you're trying to be su- successful at. So I, I, I congratulate you. That's, that's a great, great thing you're doing. It is. Oh my goodness. So, it, you know, it was, it was very, I mean, I, I started in the medical field when I was um, 18 mm-hmm. and immediately was interested in, in trauma and became an anesthesia tech and an autopsy tech. And, um, I was on the organ transplant team and that work was phenomenal to me. So this is, this is something that has always fascinated me anyway. Um, so I've been around, I've been a lot around a lot of different aspects in life, um, in terms of a, a human life. So with medical kinds of things, and then also being uh, a chopper pilot as well, did you ever get involved with the uh, medical chopper pilots moving, taking people to hospitals or? No. Okay. I I, now as a wildland fire pilot, I did uh, medevac some people and that was part of our job duties. And so I, I did do that sometimes where, you know, we would um, fly firefighters to the hospital. Okay. And that was part of our contract that I did. So I do have that experience, but I never did work for Life Flight or, or one okay. of the companies. Okay. All right. Were you a paramedic? Is, is, no, what did you do I, in the medical? Um, so I was, I started out as a CNA, certified nurse's assistant, and worked my way up um, to different types of tech work. So I was um, an EMT. Um, I did go to paramedic school for a year and I was a fire medic intern, but then I became an emergency department technician. 
an ICU technician. I worked in a psych unit for a while. Um, but primarily I was an autopsy tech and an anesthesia tech in the operating room. Okay. So you, you have been doing autopsies for quite a while too, right? Is that, yes. and, and mm -hmm. so see that, that with your forensic stuff that you do and what you, I, you're just so, there's so many layers. You've done everything. Things. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> They've all really collided. That's exactly the, it's made sense that I'm doing what I'm doing because they've all kind of led me to this point. Right. I just think that's absolutely fascinating. So is there a specific case and, you know, we don't want to share too many details, but a specific case that was really, really difficult for you? Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, so actually the very first case, I assume you want to hear about it. Sure. <laughs> Please. Yeah. If, if you, if you're okay sharing it. Yeah. The, the very first uh, mission that I was on with my first certified search and rescue dog was for um, some young, young adults um, between about between the ages of 18 and 25. And they, it really hit home to me because, because they were so young, they weren't that much older than my son in the whole scheme of things. And um, two of them, they had gone into a river in the vehicle when they were out hunting and two of them made it to shore and four of them were missing. And that was difficult for me because I took it so personally how I would handle that as the mom mm. and the recovery process was difficult because the river was in such a high flood stage that we couldn't mm. access the water. Divers couldn't go in, rafts couldn't go in. And that it was really traumatic for me to understand the safety behind why we couldn't do more, but the trauma that I felt by not being able to do more, that was difficult. In fact, I, I almost got out of search and rescue because of that mission, because it was very, it was very traumatizing to me to feel so helpless. And I didn't feel like there was anything that that I could do without, without risking ourselves. Right. Um, although I felt like I would have been willing to, but it, you know, that's, that was, that was still probably one of my most difficult missions emotionally. And with the high, high flow on the river, a, you can't get in the water. It's too, it's too risky, understandable. And then B, that just could take the body anywhere with the high flow on yeah, the river absolutely. makes the, yeah. the search area so much bigger. So absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you I know, were they, were those other um, kids able to be recovered at some point in time? I know that two of them have been for sure. And that were identified. Um, and I, I don't actually know now if the other two have been or not. Um, I know that, that one of them um, remains were found about 40 plus miles downstream, downriver, and um, the other one was a, about 60 miles down downriver. So they had traveled quite a distance. Yes. 
Yeah. Well, again, I just think of the families, the families, the parents, the everybody, you know, that's just, and it does, it does hit home. You know, Mm -hmm. there's been twice I've had opportunity on the river to help assist in pulling bodies out Mm -hmm. and not just, just out there having fun, you know, Mm -hmm. and a boat ahead of us had collapsed and capsized and his wife went in and they the guys that were with us helped with her. We were in charge of getting search and rescue there. And the other one, we were on a big camp out with a whole bunch of people. And he just mm. floated down the river and off he went, turned his little boy around and let him go. And we were down there trying to get the kids out. Cause I had had some CPR and some training being a lifeguard mm-hmm. and a, and swim instructor trying to get uh. that child out. And they, mm. they wouldn't, the mother wouldn't leave until she knew her husband was there. It was just a, it was just a, miraculous but crazy situation you know absolutely what is happening here you know so So i've got such such respect for you that does this every day you know so so that passion that makes it double-edged sword it it inspires you to be good at it and move forward but it also makes it so that on occasion like you talked about at the beginning i don't know if i want to do this that that got way too close to home so yeah absolutely And, and there's parts about each case that can be like that, you know, it's, it's difficult, um, especially when I work directly with families and the, you know, going through the stages of grief and the emotion. And there's, there's no real way to separate that, you know, in order to, I think in order to be good at what I do, I have to be, I have to put myself in the, in the family's shoes and try to understand the best that I can, what they're going through, which then, makes that very personal to me absolutely i like that idea also kind of ties in a little bit on the spiritual side of things to have that kind of pain means you had that kind of love first so you sure. can see the, the, the dichotomy yeah <laughs> and so i can see that it, it takes it takes the energy to do it but it also takes the willing heart and the passion to be able to do it so i, I applaud you i think it's awesome so on the other end of that spectrum Tell us about one of your miracle stories. I mean, yes. one of your Love stories that absolutely just really touched your heart in a positive way. I and mean, they've, they've all done that because you've been such a part of these incredible people's lives. But is there a story that has happened that you've been involved in that you have come out of there going, well, that was a miracle? Gosh, it, uh, you know, the, the first one that I can think of, and this might be too close to home for you, but I, it would be, it would be your husband's um, case for, mm. for Deb Hendricks. And I, you know, cannot talk about that if that's too close. Um, but that has been one of the most meaningful cases that I've done um, in terms of because of partly because of my position, my role in that case. Um, was, you know, a little bit different than, than what I am on some cases. So often on, on missions, you know, there's different types of missions that we do. Some are, are medical assists where we know where the person is and our job is just to hike up the trail with the appropriate equipment with other search and rescue members and assist that person in bandaging or splinting or whatever it's needed and then helping you know get them out of off that trail or out of the mountains um 
And so there's that type there's, you know, which are successful every time, right? They're pretty much you go in They're They're fairly quick. Usually um, they have a really positive outcome. So that's a very different type than, than the, um, than the missions where they're ongoing and it's the, the missing person. Um, and then especially when I'm a family liaison, that's just a completely different dynamic. So that, you know, again, I mean, there's, there's other cases, but that would be the, the Deb Hendricks case would be the one that I would definitely call on as one of the most meaningful to me. I, I so appreciate that because, and, and as you and I have talked in here, I've got my tissues because I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> you know, John has said many, many times, he goes, Tori was relentless. She did not let, and there was a lot of other things going on with dynamics and, and accusations mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. And she just kept very focused. You kept very focused and you kept John very focused. And this is what we're doing this. And she would call and text and, and get more information and tell me about this or tell me about that. Or who was she with or what, you know, all these different things. Cause they just didn't know. And John has said many, many, many times how grateful he was for you and is for you. And, and I know the day that they found Deb's body, either you or one of your team told him to just stay back because there was evidence that you were close and you were going to find her just stay back and telling him you didn't want them to see her, him Mm -hmm. to see her Mm -hmm. in the condition being gone for three months in snow Mm -hmm. and that you were protecting him and that you were willing to go in there and find her Mm -hmm. and help him through that. And, you know, I've just been so grateful for that because the last images in your head are the ones that stick with you forever, you know, and absolutely I didn't want, and you guys didn't want him to have to have that as a last image. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful. I'm so grateful. And I'm just the, (laughs) I'm just Mm -hmm. the new wife of a few months, but he is so the gratitude and the kindness and the genuine, the genuineness that you guys showed to him through all of that. And he just, He's, he's the one that's been saying, you've got to get Tori on the show because oh, she changed my life. She, yeah. she saved my life through that time, you know, and, and I know that there's many, many, many other family members that feel the same way from different people that you've had to help. And this was three months of your life that you took doing these, doing, bringing teams in. He said, at one point in time there was I don't know how many how many people were on that team I think it was 18 or so there that day she was found I think it was actually about four and a half months that we worked okay that's Um, right from January to May yeah and um there so we ended up with 10 dog teams but there were I gosh about a hundred searchers on the last day, you know, the, the second search that, that we had conducted. Um, and in that case, that was, that was not just me. We were working as a unified command with the local uh, sheriff's office there. And, um, and then we had, we had brought over several of the dog teams on, on our unit on Sarkai, but then also, um, we brought in, we requested dog teams from another local um, 
agency or, or organization out of Idaho. And that was actually the team. One of those dogs from that team is, is the one who actually first identified both um, the belongings, which were nearby and, and then we're able to, um, you know, the, then the dog was able to locate the body from there. Um, and so, but it was a collaborative effort and it takes, it, it really, um, takes a village because in order for each of us to be able to do, to put on a successful, you know, conduct a successful search, there's a lot of different moving parts and a lot of people in a lot of different places. Um, so that one, that one was really incredible. And again, it was incredible because I, you know, working with John has been just so rewarding and it really changed a lot for me. I, I found, um, you know, he is so grateful and for somebody to be able to go through a tragedy like he was going through and yet be so selfless and generous and, and just genuinely grateful the whole time was really incredible. I mean, that was, that was something I just don't see in, in society that much anymore. So it was so rewarding to, to see that and to be a part of that. Beautiful. As you did, it was very much him too, but he's, you know, and, and I want to remind our listeners, this is volunteer. There was a mm-hmm. hundred, hundred people out there volunteering yep. to find his yep. wife mm-hmm. that had been gone a year, right? Four and a half months. And, and to, to find her out of their own goodness of their own hearts, to be able to know the value of what, what you guys are doing and your incredibly trained dogs and we'll talk more about that after the break, yeah. because I think that is just absolutely huge. You know, we kind of take take for granted when you see the canine unit go by or you see somebody yeah. out with a search and rescue dog. It's like, oh, they've got a nice little dog. You know, no, this is this is life and death for a lot of people. And it it's, is. Right. And, absolutely. and not only for the, the victims, but for the families. And mm-hmm. it's just I have a whole new appreciation through what John's gone through. I wasn't there. I didn't know them. I wasn't involved in that, but knowing what he went through Mm -hmm. and what you did for him and, and your whole team. And he always, always makes sure that I know that it was the whole team and how everybody was was out there. There's so many people gathered from everywhere that were willing to step in and help him find his wife. It's beautiful. And your team projects the stability also. So that when people come in that traumatized moment in time, the stability of your team with all the abilities and equipment and the dogs and whatever that you use, mm-hmm. that stability has got to be helpful to the families when they come in in shambles trying to figure out what's going on. So, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We, you know, we have a lot of training in, in that specific, mm-hmm. just to make sure that, um, that you can handle that and, and react, um, accordingly, because that's, it's important. This is, we're, we are working for the family. I mean, that's ultimately that's, um, that's beautiful. Well, Tori, we're getting ready to go to break. So I'd like you to give your contact information right now and then we'll do it again. We're finished, but go ahead and give us your contact information. Yeah, sure. So my email address is Huey. It's H U E Y one, three, three at 
icloud.com. And I and a phone number is that, or do you just want the yep, email? That's address? that's great. Whatever, however you'd like to get yep. hold of you. Uh, the phone number is area code two zero eight three one five ten twenty six. Awesome. Okay, we're gonna go to break. Stay with us. We've got a whole lot more to yep. talk about. This, like I say, she's got layers and layers and layers and layers and layers, <laughs> and we wouldn't be able to uncover most of them here. But join us. Stay with us. Don't leave anywhere. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hello, friend. My name is Ellie Meadows, and this message is for you. If you are looking for more abundance in your life, in your health, your finances, your love life, your joy, then I invite you to connect with me alongside Jack Canfield, America's number one success coach where we will work together to co-create the abundant life that you deserve. I'm accepting new partnerships through the end of this month. Please visit my website, AbundanceWithElly.com, to learn more. Wishing you a blessed and abundant day. Learn more about the products and equipment discussed by Stephanie and her guests on the show by visiting MyVitalityHealthSolutions.com. We've done the research for you and selected proven, high-quality brands at competitive prices from companies you can trust. Drugs and surgery are not your only options. Discover the exciting alternative therapies and health and wellness products that are helping people to reclaim their health and enjoy a higher quality of life. That's MyVitalityHealthSolutions.com. Isn't it interesting how we can be physically disconnected from others and yet be personally affected by the change and confusion of the world around us? We want moments of clarity and peace, and we need to feel connected to others in positive ways. A mindfulness practice can help decrease stress, increase feelings of well-being, and help us be more connected to those around us. To find out how mindfulness can do all this, go to mindfullab.net. You'll find tools and resources to start your mindfulness journey today at mindfullab.net. If you're looking for the highest quality CBD products on the market, visit sunshinefamilyhemp.com. Sunshine Family Hemp is a family-owned business located in the mountains of northern Utah. Our full-spectrum oral and topical products contain no artificial ingredients and are third-party tested by a DEA-certified lab. Online ordering is easy, and we ship nationwide. Sunshine Family Hemp has been in business since 2019 and is legally certified at both the state and federal level. Visit sunshinefamilyhemp.com today. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to the Vitality Health Show with Stephanie Parrish. If you have a question for Stephanie or her guest, please email contact at myvitalityhealthsolutions.com. Now, back to the Vitality Health Show. Welcome back, friends. We are so happy to have you here. We are having an amazing conversation. And yes, I've got my tissues here and I keep falling. But we we are having an amazing conversation with Tori Swan. She does the search and rescue with her dog, the canine search and rescue. She's She's got just this layers as we've been talking about mm-hmm. she she's done the autopsy she's been a helicopter pilot she's a regular pilot she's been doing search and rescue for over 19 years she started as a young toddler 
with her parents, her dad who flew um, airplanes to go search and rescue. And just, there's so many levels to this. And more importantly for me, her team is the one that was able to come together and find my husband's wife when she went missing after four and a half months, they were able to finally find her. She had passed, which they kind of figured she had because it was in a snowstorm that she disappeared and, and it was only not very far from her car. She'd gone over the side of a cliff and they were able to find her. And, and John has got such gratitude for specifically this incredible woman here, as well as this, all the teams. And we want you guys to realize these are volunteers. They're always looking for help because they do this out of the goodness of their hearts and they do this out of their own money and their own funds. And John was just amazed because I guess they were told they could turn in their receipts and, and he goes, not hardly anybody did, you know? And he's like, they did this because of their love of what they're doing to help families. And so I'm going to have her give her contact information again right now. And then we'll give it again at the end of the show. So grab your pen and your paper and they are always looking for donations and the donations are, you know, financial is always an important one. But one of the things that Tori and I were talking about, and I'm going to bring this up, Tori is bones. If you have a family member Mm. that has passed and you are willing to donate bones or tissue or what I'm, I'm going to let you talk about that because that's how they train their dogs to find the next person. So they are desperate need of those because they only go so far. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's start with that, Tori. Let's start with your contact information and tell us a little bit more about sure. the donations that you need. Yeah, sure. So my email address is Huey, H U E Y one, three, three at iCloud.com. And my phone number is area code 208-315-1026. Perfect. And yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up, Stephanie. Yeah, you're absolutely right that, you know, the, the financial donations is absolutely huge and welcomed. Um, and as well as, you know, uh, human remains, which can be in the form of, you know, tissue, um, can be, you know, bone dust from orthopedic surgeries that, that they save knee transplant or, you know, knee replacements, hip replacements, um, you know, any number of things, there's lots, lots of possibilities, even, you know, even, uh, portions of, you know, remains before a a family member gets cremated, um, Mm -hmm you know, if, if they choose to, to donate, you know, uh, any portion, whatever, whatever they would decide, um, we, you know, have the, the credit, um, credentials to be able to go and harvest those remains for, you know, for use for dog training. Um, so, you know, and I, I just want to mention too, that one of the big questions that I always get when we talk about, donations of human remains is, you know, do the dogs eat it? No, they don't. Uh, the <laughs> dogs are absolutely not allowed to, to do that. That's part of the training. Um, you know, they, they don't damage it. The, the human remains are, um, very, they're extremely valuable. We don't dispose of them. People often say, well, what, what do you do after you use them? We, we keep them. They're good forever. We, those stages of, 
we need those different stages of decomposition for different parts of the training. So even as the human remains material changes over time, um, that's equally as valuable. And, you know, the storage uh, is, there's guidelines and standards for proper storage and transportation and documentation. And um, it's all very respectful for the donors. So it's, it is a, a very, very serious thing. It's not something that, that we take lightly. So um, it, the donations for that are absolutely incredible and welcomed. So I'm just curious when the dogs work on these things too, <clears throat> I'm guessing that after a certain amount of time has gone by, it's not so much that you're getting the scent of the individual, like if they're tissues, there may be a scent that, that a person just has, but then you get into the bones and, and the tissues go away. I do, so bones, I guess, are they uniform to all people? I'm guessing they are. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's correct. So once decomposition starts, then there's it's no longer a unique smell to that particular person. So okay. um, at that point, it's, uh, it's a generic, generic decomposition smell for the dogs. Okay. Okay. That's so interesting. So if somebody wanted to go in and say they're having knee replacement, which it seems like everybody is having that done or mm -hmm. shoulders or whatever, yep. and they know that they would like to donate, they're not going to use that anymore, right? Because they're getting a, mm -hmm. another false knee put on or shoulder or whatever it mm -hmm. is. How do they go about doing that? And are the doctors open the hospitals open how do you how does case I, I know a whole bunch of people that are in the process of doing this and it's like how do they go through that process how do they say no i i want that donated don't just yep. throw it out or whatever you're going to do yeah and and i'll keep this pretty light because of course there's there's statutes and you know um case laws about this but um you know basically yeah they would request it from the doctor now couple different scenarios um if they have to request have to request it prior to the surgery because if that material goes to the lab and gets put in formalin which is like formaldehyde mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that's a carcinogen and changes the scent picture and it's extremely toxic to dogs so that material is no longer useful to us once it has been submerged in formalin a lot of times the doctors need to send some amount of, of that material to lab to test for, you know, bone diseases or whatever the case might be. Um, but there could be an agreement between, you know, maybe one part goes to lab to get tested and the other part gets saved by the family. At that point, the family would ask for that to be saved for them and, and then we would make that transition. You know, they would explain what they're wanting to do with it, but it's the family's decision ultimately. Um, and yeah, most doctors are, are good with it. Um, you know, sometimes it's a new thing. This is something that is not really universal knowledge. So this, right. it, it sometimes can be blindsiding to some people when they bring this up. Like, Wait, what is this about? Oh, but once I've explained it, I've had physicians and nurses call and say, I have a family member, you know, wanting or a, a family um, that's wanting to donate this material. 
how is this going to work? And I've explained it. And, wow, I've never heard of that before. So it's, this is not just common knowledge, but it, it is happening. And that's, that's how we, that's how we train the dogs. We um, really, you know, in order to uphold national level standards, which we on our team, which we all are, and um, we have to train on, on actual um, human remains, not pseudoscent. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's always a, a mission to find that material. Uh, you I know, do. I love, I love that we're talking about this because I, I had no idea, I had no idea mm-hmm. yeah. that this is what was happening. And, you know, people think, oh, I'm going to donate my body to science. You know, this, that's not what this is all about. This is donating a portion you're not going to use anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, really, you're, if they're, if they're taking out a shoulder because it needs to be replaced or a knee because it mm-hmm. needs to be replaced or, or even what about even, I mean, you see all these people that lose weight and they take the tissues, the skin, and what do they do with mm-hmm. it? You know, yeah. that's all stuff yeah, that your dogs can train on, right? Amputations. Um, right. You know, that's yeah, absolutely. I remember I worked in the hospital some years back and uh, the orthopedic uh, rooms where they would do these kinds of surgeries on knees and hips and, and shoulders, etc. cetera. Uh, there were pieces, mm-hmm. um, not to be too grotesque, but there's pieces that kind of come from that and they go to the floor. I mean, cause they're doing a lot of sawing and, and mm-hmm. shaping. So yeah. it makes sense to me that a lot of those could be just gathered up and, and there you go. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess we want our listeners to, to this is, like I say, this is so cool and so new to me. We want our listeners to understand that, you know, you're helping somebody else. You're helping, you're helping Tori and her team or somebody else someplace that may need to be training those dogs, not may need to, will be training those dogs. And they Mm -hmm. have to do it with human remains to be able to find your loved ones, to be able to be guided the right direction. And they're so brilliant these dogs are trained and the dogs can't get trained by themselves they have to have good trainers and that's what you do and and just just be aware of that people if you if you're having surgeries or you're having skin removed or amputations whatever it is don't let them just throw those tissues away utilize them let let them be used in training you're not going to use them anymore so let them be used in training for these amazing dogs that can do this incredible incredible jobs and their hands handlers because they're handlers without without you guys right they're another dog right and speaking of which i remember you said your son has gotten pretty good at that too yeah yeah he has my my son is 13 he's definitely been following in my footsteps in this he's um awesome. been really my right hand man with all of my dog training and handling and he's incredible he's planning on going to joining the Coast Guard when he turns 18 to be to become a dog handler. And wow. he does he does great. He actually handles um, both of the working dogs in different disciplines just beautifully. He does better than a lot of the a lot of the handlers that I've um, worked around. So he yeah, he does great. <laughs> He's super proud of him. Wow. He has a great propensity for that. And <laughs> Absolutely. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, he's oh, he's adorable too. <laughs> just he's just just as handsome as his mom is cute. He's just so so, so handsome. <laughs> anyway, so I I was kind of just thinking about 
some other other situations because you were telling me that you've worked on murder cases, which is crazy. We were talking about that before we got on the air. Mm-hmm. And this is a just just search and rescue for people that are disappearing is it's uh, can you can you talk about that a little bit i'm I'm not even sure what to say because people need to understand yeah they are looking for that they've got to call you guys to help with that as well absolutely so there's there's a criminal aspect to the deployments that we do um and some of that criminal response is forensics and oftentimes you know that can be any number of scenarios it can be um, you know, looking for maybe they get a tip of where a, you know, suspect or perpetrator buried a body. And so we would bring, they would request that we bring the dogs in <clears throat> and search that area looking specifically for buried remains. Or maybe there's a situation where, you know, um, it was a cold case and they, there may have been a chance that, um, you know, the, the victim was, was hidden or concealed in the walls of, of a building. And we would bring the dogs in to, you know, sniff that, that house or that structure to see if they detected the odor of human remains. Um, so, you know, there's, there's any number of scenarios that, that we can get called in for to utilize the dogs in a criminal investigation, which like you said, it's, um, it can be for a a full body, um, or it can be, like I said, a cold case that's 25 or 30 years old that, um, they just now are, you know, getting another lead for, or another tip of where that may be. And so we, we work with, um, you know, sheriff's office, police departments, and the FBI to, you know, help investigate those type of cases as well. And you guys go, do you go outside of the United States? I know you go all over the United States. <laughs> no, we haven't yet. Um, we've not been out of the United States, but we do. We are a national resource. So we do go all over, um, all over the U.S. We're in quite a few different states right now, which is a huge honor and amazing that, you know, that we are able to be utilized um, for our resources for that. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of travel involved, but we're happy to do it when there's a need. Tell us a little bit more about your company that you work for. How many people are there? How many dogs are there? You know, tell me a little bit more about that. So um, there's kind of two different parts to that. So SARCAI, which is Search and Rescue Canines of Idaho, is I'm the president and um, the founding member for that um, organization. I'm so sorry, my phone just fell over there. (laughs) Right side up. Um, And that uh, SARCAI is a nonprofit uh, resource, um, primarily for scent detection, although we do have general, we have general SAR capabilities to be able to assist on the ground. Um, And then the other aspect is I also own a business that I do for dog training and that is TS canine. And that's where, you know, we can do obedience, service, scent detection, dog training there. Um, So they kind of go hand in hand, but you know, completely different, obviously one is, one is the nonprofit 
um, scent detection deployment. The other is just the dog training part. Is there, yes. a me- <laughs> yeah. is there a method that is more efficient or better at finding or are they all equal as far as like people walking around, dogs walking around, helicopters flying? Are they all oh, pretty gosh, much equal? That's, that's a great question. And it is so case dependent. There are some cases where dogs are not the best resource. Um, and, you know, maybe helicopters are. There's other scenarios where the only viable resource would be a dog, a scent detection dog. Um, so it really depends on the case. Absolutely. And I think one okay. of the biggest things for us is helping educate agencies when they do call uh, to request us um, whether we can even assist them with what we have or not. You know, some we get both ends of the spectrum. We have some folks that think, you know, oh, dogs are useless. You know, there's there's no way they can help. Um, we'll just we'll call in big helicopters or whatever. And then we get the other end that dogs are the end all be all. And the reality is it's somewhere in the middle. It's neither extreme. Yeah. They're just another resource. They're not black and white. Um, they're, you know, a living, breathing creature and, and have their on days and off days and, you know, different, different conditions make their detection possible or not possible. So yeah, it's, it's really dependent on the, on the situation, Mm -hmm. which resources would be best utilized. Oh, that makes sense. Nothing cookie cutter about it, right? (laughs) Exactly. Nope, absolutely not. Well, yeah. So so when it snows three feet, having a helicopter look around is not going to help because you can't see anything. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, Maybe sometimes exactly. the dogs can't detect that either, right? Because right? I know right. in dead situation, you guys lost the trail was lost for a while till the snow started melting. Yeah, that in that case, really, dogs dogs do fine, you know, sniffing under the snow. Um, in fact, there's a lot of airflow for scent under the snow. The issue in Deb's case really is that as humans, we couldn't access some of the areas because the snow was so deep. I mean, it was, it was waist deep and it just wasn't even, it wasn't even accessible. Um, so that's, that's really the conditions there, you know, had we been able to get a dog in that area, they should have most likely been able to detect that scent. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't even access that area the first time because of the snow levels and the the snow berms from being plowed were just incredible. It was, I think, as you probably remember, that that particular storm on our first search made Oregon history um, with how bad it was. And that that's what we were searching right in the middle of. So that was not very conducive. <laughs> right. And you don't want to put your, well, you can't put yourself and your team, as you were explaining before, mm-hmm. in any kind of danger. Yeah. You know, that's, that's just not, nobody would want that anyway. So it's yep. like you, you just have to wait till conditions get to where you can do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So um, again, really quickly, is there any, is there any last miracles that you want to share with us before we close the show? You've seen many, many, many things. Gosh, yeah. They all, I couldn't specify one. They all have their own, um, you know, each, each part, you know, there's different, I look at at different things as miracles in, you know, how, how teams come together um, and, you know, just how 
really the outcome. There's so many different types of outcomes, as we know, right? That um, right. even finding finding a tiny piece of, of evidence that has nothing, you know, that isn't part of a, you know, body per se, mm -hmm. um, is maybe still a huge success to us and still amazing. So those are the little miracles that, that we have on the, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, on our missions. And so it would be hard, it would be hard just to say just one of them because you know they're they're all so different and I think really the most the biggest thing for me is like you guys have brought up the the willingness of my fellow team members to drop everything in their life to be able to respond and and do this you know and, and have that shared passion and belief in the mission is huge you know so I I am ever thankful of my my fellow teammates for you know doing doing the same thing because i i know i know what goes into it it's huge yeah. oh, that's just i didn't know that's if you beautiful. wanted in the, the last minute or two i know you had talked about that for a split second about the training that goes into the dogs yes, yes. um i know we have just a short time here but that's that is more than a lot of people um, you know, I get a lot of people that will ask, you know, Hey, how do I register my dog to be a search and rescue dog? Um, as if they can just go online and, and register them. But just to give you an idea, um, you know, for example, I train six days a week trainings, usually about four hours a day and, um, you know, prepping for a mission sometimes we'll do a lot more, but this is a major endeavor this isn't something that is just oh you can do it once a week or you know a couple times so it's, it's a life altering lifestyle these dogs undergo a tremendous amount of training from obedience socialization and and then all types of scent detection in different scenarios to make them capable to handle the scenarios that will put them in on a mission so um that's that's huge they all have to be nationally certified which is a endeavor in and of itself. And then the handlers have to have our own credentials in order to work at canine. So it's, it's a pretty rigorous program, but, um, but rewarding nonetheless. Absolutely. Oh, we so appreciate you and, and what you're doing. We're just, we're going to wrap up real quick. So give yep. us your contact information again, sure. really fast. Yes. If you wouldn't mind. Okay. My email address is Huey, H-U-E-Y-133 at iCloud.com. And my phone number is area code 208-315-1026. Awesome. As a reminder, get your donations. Put your donations. If you're not using the, the body parts, send them over and let them use them to train. You may have a family member that gets called out mm -hmm. that, that needs these people and needs this group. So, Tori, thank you. We love you. Thank you, I Stephanie. love what you're doing. You're an amazing woman. Doug, love you as always. Everybody, you thank you so much and have a very happy and healthy week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Vitality Health Show. Be sure to tune in next Thursday for another informative show with Stephanie Parrish and leading health and wellness experts. 
That's Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a wonderful, healthy week. Statements made and information provided on this program are for educational purposes only. They have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and products discussed on this program are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Vitality Health Show is not responsible for any misunderstandings or misapplication of information presented in this show. 